you hear about these things because people are aware that the tax office doesn't necessarily have the resources to go and chase all the people that do this. But the more people that do it, the more likely it is that the ATO will invest some resources, even if any one individual doesn't get a return, they will want to demonstrate to the community that it's important to attend to these things properly. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. What happens if a sole director and shareholder just goes AWOL, absent without leave, if they keep trading, take the cash out as it comes in and walk away from all tax obligations? So they don't lodge any bets, they don't lodge any tax returns, they don't pay any ASIC fees, they change their address and don't tell ASIC or the ATO, and they just keep trading, charging GST despite the ATO cancelling their GST registration and despite ASIC deregistering their company. They just keep going and ignore all else. What happens when a director goes ever like this? This is the question Jeff Steen of Brumwright Steen Lawyers in Sydney will discuss with you in this episode. People express the view to me that if you don't want to use your company anymore, it costs a lot of money to liquidate or cancel the company and hence the best approach is just to walk away and leave the leave ASIC hanging and just let it die its natural death. And that really surprised me. And I actually heard it three times. And the first view, of course, is incorrect because it only costs $42 to do register a company, not $400. But I also started wondering what the real consequences are of this course of action. And then I actually got a new client who did exactly that and not only walked away from all ASIC debts, but also walked away from all ATO debts. So I would love to talk with you about what happens if a, if a shareholder and director, sole shareholder and director just goes able, you know, just walks away and pays all creditors, but leaves ASIC and the ATO hanging. Firstly, if, if they just walk away, the debts remain on foot and all they're relying on is for ASIC and ATO in particular, not to do anything about it. Because number one, it's if ATO wanted to get nasty about it, there are a number of tax offences that talk about what you are doing if you are sinking companies with the intention of not paying their debts. What's been talked about here is not so much sinking the company, but just simply not doing anything, not letting the ATO necessarily catch up, but letting ASIC in due course simply deregister it because you haven't paid the annual fee for the required number of years. And so eventually ASIC's process will deregister the company and then ATO, if they could be bothered to look, will find that the company's deregistered and ATO then have to say, is this exercise worth the community resources to reinstate the company? So it doesn't mean you've completely got away with it scot-free. It just means that you are betting on the fact that the, or the probability that ATO won't come chasing after you. If we go through it step by step and start with ASIC. So on the ASIC register, it just says strike off action in progress or something along those lines. I think it says something like, yeah, strike off action in progress. It just says that. 
What does it mean? So it just means that ASIC have started the process where they recognise the annual returns for this company haven't been lodged or paid and there's a notice that's gone to the company to say, please pay it or we're going to strike you off and then eventually they will strike it off. And when that's struck off, it will say deregistered yes. instead does of strike off action in progress. And does that have consequences for the director? So if the director, he was very young at the time in this example, if he then in 10 years or so wanted to start another company, will that be held against him? The short answer is no, because the company's simply been deregistered. It hasn't been liquidated and nobody's going to check about the circumstances in which that happened. The longer answer is, If the affairs of that company have not been dealt with properly, then someone could reactivate it to reinvestigate. But the longer it goes on, the probability of that happening becomes more and more remote because, again, mm. it's not worth the exercise. Someone's got to do an assessment when they're saying, let's get the company reinstated. Somebody's got to do an assessment that says that's a worthwhile thing to do. If a company's got no assets and people know that, you know, for example, the director at the time had no assets then why would you spend the money and the resources chasing it? So that means when you have a client like this, where the ASIC register states strike of action currently in progress, basically let it run its natural course. Don't go back and say, mea culpa, we're owing close to $600. What can we do? Yeah, I, I would be tempted to let it run its natural course. Your other choice is you pay your fees and then you lodge your deregistration application to have it completed properly. And I think the the exercise is really one around what are the liabilities and the tail liabilities for the activities of this company? Do you want the risk that someone's going to come back later on in a short period of time to, to go through it? And particularly then, have you done something? So if you're just talking about ASIC fees, it's fees to lodge something and it's really fee for a form fundamentally. But when you're talking about tax debts, the failure to pay tax debts can lead to arguments about insolvent trading and can, if, if you know, someone forms the view that it's been deliberately let go, could theoretically enliven some of those other criminal law provisions. So that leads now to the ATO. Young bloke started a company, traded for roughly four years, lodged two bass, actually lodged three bass, never lodged a tax return, made reasonable money, had, you know, two, $200,000 of turnover, never lodged tax returns after four years, walked away. And the ATO walked away from the bass and noted on the online services for agents, not economical to pursue. But so far, but I also have to add that the address has changed. So letters from the ATO probably didn't reach the director. But so far, No letters from the ATO, nothing, and basically turnover of three, four, five hundred thousand completely tax free taken out of the company, and so far, no consequences. I have to say that really surprised me when I started looking into this. Yeah, so it's not a matter of the law, but it's a matter of administration. So it's the question is essentially that the ATO have decided either that their systems aren't good enough to follow this up or follow this up um, quickly enough to, to have it brought into question or that they've determined that it's just not worth the resources to go and pursue it. 
So now the director actually has changed course, and I'm not sure what triggered it. I'm not sure why, but now has engaged a tax agent and is paying to have his accounts cleaned up and has tax returns lodged. I guess once these tax returns are lodged and it turns out that they are twenty, thirty thousand dollars of tax being owed, I guess that will push the ATO to act now. Well then you you're back on the ATO radar and the ATO will take whatever action they think appropriate. So the question is really, what do you do? Do you just let this giant sleeping, <laughs> not knowing, you know, we don't really know what the ATO is doing because letters probably have gone to the old address, etc. So it's a little bit of yeah. an unknown, you know, what's brewing beyond the horizon or not. So it's a little bit difficult to judge kind of, do you just let it be or do you pursue and do the right thing and lodge tax returns, lodge bears and clean it up? Yeah, Heidi, and in my view, it's a sleep test, right? And, and that means I wouldn't be sleeping at night knowing I hadn't tidied things up and I would certainly be in favour of tidying it up. That's the way I move and, and make sure that everything's done properly and all the things are neatly done. But you can understand why some people say, look, I'll just walk away from my problems and if someone wants to go to the trouble of chasing me, let them go and chase me. Okay. Well, it clearly has passed the sleep test because the director has now engaged an agent and is is paying to to have it cleaned up. But I guess once we do lodge the best and once we do lodge the income, t the company tax returns, then we need to be prepared to cough up the money reasonably quickly. Yeah, or, or you enter into an arrangement. There's no reason why just because there was a delay in the processing that the ATO wouldn't listen to some type of uh, request for payment by instalments or some other security arrangement. Next question. Division 7A, all of the money was taken out of the company, so there is a substantial Division 7A liability at the moment. If we reduce the distributable surplus to zero through equivalent wage payments, can we then just let the company be deregistered and not worry about the Division 7A liability? How does this work when there is still a Division 7A liability? You know, If you attempt to deregister and there are liabilities of the company or assets exceeding $1,000 in value, then when you sign the form to declare that there are not assets exceeding $1,000 in value, you are committing an act of perjury. Yes, and the asset is the receivable against the director, yep. correct? Correct. But not only that, the bigger problem is the asset doesn't go away. The asset vests in ASIC. So when a company gets deregistered, All of the assets of that company, known or unknown, vest in ASIC, and ASIC could theoretically enforce it. So, for example, if the ATO found out about it or there was an ATO audit of some sort, ATO could refer the matter to ASIC and ASIC could enforce the debt. Now, the fact that I'm not aware of any instance where ASIC have attempted to do so doesn't mean that they couldn't do it. Until we have this Division 7A receivable cleaned up, we can't deregister the company because the company clearly has more than $1,000 of assets. So that means we could only let it die its natural death with ASIC. Yep. But that would yep. mean that this Division 7A debt might rear its head at some stage. Unlikely, uh, you've never seen it, but it's possible. ASIC are not unlikely to pursue it, right? But theoretically, that's where the asset sits. What's more likely to happen is that ATO will go to the trouble of reinstating the company 
so that they can issue the relevant assessments. Oh, I see, because they can't issue the uh, relevant assessments. Once the uh, tax returns have been lodged, the ATO wants, will then, of course, want to issue assessments. They can't do that when the company has been deregistered? Or the ATO can't issue an assessment against a company that's been deregistered. Oh, okay. Now, again, it, it depends on... What the about strike-off? The strike-off is a deregistration process. So strike-off action in process is simply a preliminary action to a deregistration. So strike-off and deregistration are basically the same. It's just that deregistration is initiated by the shareholder or director, whereas strike-off is initiated by ESSEC. Yeah, that's one way of, of trying to distinguish them. But, but yeah, strike-off yes. strike means deregistration. Okay, so that means the ATO has a problem once the company is deregistered. The ATO has a problem when it receives tax returns. Yeah, the ATO has a problem. And again, if the ATO wanted to, the ATO can apply to have the company reinstated. And they can apply. When a company gets reinstated, that means that the company returns to the directors who were the directors at the time that the company was deregistered. So, in other words, their, their roles have been suspended during that period. But the ATO could also then apply to have a liquidator appointed to the company mm. immediately upon it being reinstated. Last question, capital loss. If we yep. just assume that the company is stri striked off and is now not worth anything anymore, the um, shareholder paid a little bit short of $30,000 for, for the business. Could they now claim a capital loss? Assuming they paid $30,000 for the shares, Could they now claim a capital loss? Well, the problem in not claiming capital loss is that the shares have not, in fact, been cancelled. So one of the issues with the deregistration is the shares have been cancelled. The company has simply been deregistered and can still be reinstated. Mm. And you haven't got the event where I you've see. got the certification from a liquidator to say that the shares are now worthless. Okay, so that means we don't have a CGT event. So you don't have a relevant CGT event, correct. Okay, and so hence we don't have a capital loss. It seems to be that the whole thing comes down to a sleep test, as you said. You yep. either just let it be and just wait and see, or you try to clean it up. Yeah, and it's a sleep test because, in theory, the obligation still remains to attend to it properly. It's just that you hear about these things because people are aware that the tax office doesn't necessarily have the resources to go and chase all the people that do this. But the more people that do it, the more likely it is that the ATO will invest some resources, even if a, any one individual doesn't get a return, they will want to demonstrate to the community that it's important to attend to these things properly. What's the liability for tax agents being involved with companies like this? Like, you know, they now have put their name to the company on the online services for agents. They put their name to the company in the ASIC register. What's their liability now with respect to that? There's probably no direct liability for the company, unless you're in some way connected with the process. If you've been involved in advising a client to do it, you've just got to be careful that advising a client to walk away from tax debts by simply allowing a company to be deregistered could be grounds for saying you're not a fit and proper person to be a tax agent. Yes. So as a tax agent, you really have your hands tied. You can't suggest that it's a sleep test. You need to advise the client that they need to meet their obligations. I think that's right. You, you need to advise the clients they need to meet their obligations. If, if the clients want legal advice about what are the consequences if this happens, then certainly you can send them off to get legal advice. But if you want to protect yourself, you don't encourage clients to do it. 
welcome back. So this one really surprised me, but I also think that in the end, these things tend to come back to bite the culprit. Yes, sometimes it might seem as if you can get away with murder, but usually it is just a matter of time until all comes out. <laughs> Talking about the end of this year, I know I had said before that tomorrow would be the final podcast, the top 10 for accountants. But before we do that, we have one more thing to do. We have one more technical episode to cover. The practical applications of testamentary trusts. Paul McEnroe of Clearhorn, Brisbane, will go through a list of tricky questions with you. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.